Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you haven't already registered for the free two-day live event on September 15th and 16th, where I'll be going over my three-step framework to building six figures in passive income within the next five years, hop on to www.generationalwealthmd.com and sign up. Let's move on to today's episode where we talk about whether we should be earning and saving more or investing smarter and what impact that's going to have on our portfolios. We are often told that the path to financial freedom is through earning more and saving more. In all likelihood, most of us have been doing this to some degree. What I recently learned is that your asset allocation is the biggest determinant of portfolio growth and passive income withdrawal in the long run. In other words, the annualized return on investment of the different asset classes that you are invested in has the largest impact on how fast you get to financial independence. I wanted to do a deep dive today and run some examples of how your portfolio would perform if you earned more and saved more versus shifted your asset allocation. So stay tuned. Earning more. Okay, let's talk about this. Now, many physicians I know have been working more than one job for years. Sometimes we take on additional shifts. Others have side gigs, which also takes a lot of time and commitment. Another active business is not something to be taken lightly. Oftentimes, it takes more time and effort than your main gig. The hustle and burnout from your side gig can be significant. What about saving more? If you found yourself looking for coupons and discounts every time you have a major and sometimes minor expense, I have. How many times do we hold ourselves back because we want to stay within our budget? We put things off for when we can really afford it. What if living on a shoestring budget is not the most efficient way to get to financial freedom? Let's dive deeper. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you really know what your asset allocation is and what your average return on investment is across your portfolio? In other words, how much money do you have in say cash versus stocks and bonds versus real estate? And once you factor in the historic returns for these different asset classes, what is the average return on investment of your portfolio in the growth phase? How long will it take you to get to financial independence if you continue on the same path, making the same contributions? How are you rebalancing over time and what impact will that have? If you don't have an investment policy statement or would like more help figuring out what your asset allocation should be, check out my previous blog posts on the topic. Today, I'm going to be running two different scenarios to highlight the impact of increasing contributions versus changing asset allocation to a portfolio over 20 years. But before I start running examples, I want to be completely honest with you. I am guilty of having had huge cash reserves the first few years that I was out of training. So I speak from experience. The opportunity cost of not being intentional with asset allocation is huge. Okay, so let's start off with a baseline portfolio. Say in this portfolio, you're investing $2,000 a month into a mixture of stocks, bonds, and cash with an average annualized return of 7.5%. 
Now, historic average returns for index funds is close to 10% over the last 75 years, and it's around 5% for bonds over the same time frame. And if I had a portfolio that was 65% in stocks, 30% in bonds, and 5% in cash, I would likely be averaging around 7.5% return on investment annually for that portfolio. And if I contributed $2,000 every month into this portfolio that has an average annualized return of around 7.5%, I would likely end up with close to $1.1 million in my portfolio at the end of 20 years. So what's the impact of doubling your contribution? This is scenario one. If I decide to earn more or save more and double my contribution, to my portfolio every month and I contributed $4,000 every month into the same portfolio with the same asset allocation I described above, I will likely end up with close to $2.2 million in my portfolio at the end of 20 years, which makes sense. I'm doubling my contribution. My portfolio is going to be twice as big at the end of 20 years. Now we're going to go to scenario two where we're changing our asset allocation and what we're actually doing is we're optimizing it now with different asset classes within the portfolio to increase the return to 15%. So we're doubling our return on the portfolio. Now we're not increasing contribution, so we're going to continue to contribute $2,000 a month into this portfolio, but now the average return annually is 15% and we're following the same portfolio over the 20 year period. At the end of 20 years, you will have close to $3 million in this portfolio. This is without having to earn more, without having to save more, just because you were intentional about asset allocation and you've doubled the return that you have within this portfolio. Now, why is this important? Since your return on investment has such a significant impact over the long-term performance of your portfolio, I want you to really pay attention to what your asset allocation is. As I mentioned before, for the longest time, I had a disproportionately large amount of money in fixed income assets, which could be CDs, bonds, or even just cash, which in hindsight was dragging down the performance of my portfolio significantly. So take a moment to look at your investments. And if you have more than six months to a year of expenses in cash, you may want to rethink your asset allocation. Now, I want to go into what returns from real estate investments typically look like when you own rental real estate and why you should be considering it. I'm going to run a simple buy and hold scenario for a single family rental, nothing fancy, very basic numbers. Suppose I take the same $25,000 that I'm investing annually in the previous portfolio and I use it to purchase a single family rental for $100,000. So that's 25% down. It's a conventional mortgage. I'm assuming for these numbers that cash flow at the end of the year after factoring in all expenses is around $2,500, which is a 10% return on investment. Now that's going to be market dependent, but that's an easy number to achieve in most markets. Now, with national historic average home price increase being around three to 4% annually, when you factor that in, that's around $3,000 in annual equity increase in that property from just market appreciation, right? And those are average historical numbers. Now, my renter is also paying down the principal portion of my mortgage, which is around $2,000 on average. Now, this number varies over years, but we're going to use average numbers. So that's around $2,000. 
That's a total equity buildup of $5,000 annually, which is a 20% return on investment. Now, once you factor in the cash flow, which was an additional 10% return on investment, you have a whopping 30% return on investment that's annual. So how would your portfolio grow if your return on investment was around 30% annually? Can you imagine the impact this would have over 20 years? Before I wrap up, I also want to remind you that during the withdrawal phase, and there have been multiple studies to show this by William Bengen, the Trinity study, if you are in a pure stock bond portfolio, you have a 4% safe withdrawal rate to ensure that that portfolio lasts you 30 to 50 years in retirement. This factors in a shift in asset allocation closer to 50-50 between stocks and bonds in retirement, and it also factors in inflation, and all of this ensures that this portfolio will weather volatility over time. But what this essentially translates to is that to be able to safely withdraw $100,000 annually from a pure stock bond portfolio in retirement, you will need that portfolio to be around $2.5 million. Now, compare this to a real estate portfolio that continues to grow at the same rate during withdrawal in retirement, and it throws out tax-free money, essentially because of depreciation. This boils down to the fact that you could have less than half the money invested in a leveraged real estate portfolio compared to a stock bond portfolio and have the same passive income in retirement. So isn't it about time that you looked closely at your asset allocation and found a smarter way to get to financial independence? One that doesn't include working more shifts or living on a budget. And if you haven't downloaded my financial independence worksheet yet, where you get to figure out what your financial freedom number is and how long it's going to take you to get there, please look in the show notes. I'm going to include it. As a bonus, I've also included my financial independence numbers in the worksheet and what my portfolio looked like in early 2021. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review. And if you're looking for free cash on cash calculators to run deals for long-term rentals or short-term rentals, don't forget to visit my website, www.generationalwealthmd.com. Check out my blog and download the free resources available to you.